In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Warning, this podcast contains spoilers for The Last of Us, Episode 4. My name is Jason Concepcion. And I'm Rosie Knight. And welcome to X-Ray Vision, the crooked media podcast where we dive deep into your favorite shows, movies, comics, and pop culture. In this episode on Previously On, we're going to be talking about the buzz from the DC Slate announcement. Oh, the buzz. The buzz, the buzz. And so how it, much buzz, baby. How it may have been affecting some comic book sales in a potentially positive way. In the airlock, we are going to be talking about episode four of The Last of Us on HBO Max, which sees a, a, a favorite of ours enter the fray. And in Nerd Out, we have a theory about Deadpool entering the MCU, which you know we're excited about because we love theories. Of course, if you want to jump around, check the show notes for timestamps coming up previously on. First up, DC, more DC news reaction to the DC news of last week when James Gunn and Peter Safran unveiled their much-awaited DC slate. And folks, it's a hit. People are loving it. The buzz is very positive. I mean, like, you know, we were very excited by it. Every DC comic fan, every comic fan I know Mm -hmm. was super, super excited about it. I know a a friend of mine who is a TV writer was like, I'm trying, I'm talking to my agents trying to get that booster gold. (laughs) You know it. I'm (laughs) saying, like, I know that they are, this is not the only stuff that they're trying to adapt. Like James said, this is the chapter. Yes. So I'm like, it's time to be going to DC. I, I got a little pitch. I got a little, I got a yeah. little, I got a little uh, plan for a certain Vertigo comic. You know, I think a lot of people do. So I think it's an exciting time. Yeah. And one of the big news bumps was kind of this like, James Gunn did something that a lot of people in this industry do not do. James Gunn directly shouted out the comics that would be influencing Mm -hmm. these movies. And that tweet went off and everyone was like, more people need to do this. (coughs) Marvel, (laughs) you need to do that. And and he specified, you know, as we said, it was uh, Batman and Robin by uh, Grant Morrison, Frank Quitely. We had uh, Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, uh, All-Star, All-Star Superman. Superman. We also. were right, by the way. We were right. Um, and like, basically what happened was a lot of people decided they wanted to buy these books. Now, I know from anecdotal evidence, this is true. My comic shop, Pulp Fiction yeah. in Long Beach, they had a lot of people coming in to buy those books. And then James Gunn did a tweet where he basically kind of reported, shared some reporting about how some of these books were selling out on Amazon. Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow was one of them. Now, look, the comic book selling industry is very messy. It's inefficient. And inefficient. It's always been inefficient. If you remember, we were talking about it when Hawkeye was coming out. Hawkeye... The collection by Matt Fraction and David Ahar had actually been out of print for a long time and they didn't get it back in stores when Invincible only came like out. Two, there's only like two printing houses. I, I, I'm going to yeah. get this wrong. But there's very few printers that actually do this work. And so there's a huge few, bottleneck. Very few distributors. So, yeah. so when they say, oh, you know, um, Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow has sold out on Amazon, that means they don't have that many any left in their warehouse that they're stocking from, but you can go to your comic shop and try and buy them. But this is great news because it's always good to see comics selling. And this is the impact that it can have to actually say, this is the comic we're basing it on. If you think about Marvel, it is very rare to hear them say that even when something like Captain America Winter Soldier was directly based on a comic, they were not out there promoting that. So this is very cool. I love to see comics selling. I think it's very buzzy and and kind of like an interesting technique. But if it basically bullies Marvel into shouting out comics creators <laughs> and comics, I'll be happy. I'm like, James Gunn, you're doing good work. 
I wonder if that will happen more now. You know, uh, I, I, they do kind of obliquely gesture at, mm-hmm. the, at the arcs and the creators, both with thanks in the movies and kind of like and like titles who they invite, or... who they invite to, yes. the, to the premiere and stuff. But this is, yeah, this is the most overt kind of like, uh, here are the comics this is coming from kind of statement we've seen in this space. But I will say also that it's really cool that uh, that we're seeing the comics sell out. I think whether or not that's accurate, the buzz around it. It's, yeah. it's a great it's a great look. And secondarily, like James Gunn directly shouting out the comics, I also think is on the one hand, he should do it. And it's a thing to do from a more cynical point of view. It's also the way that James necessarily gestures to the, you know, the DC fan base that's been there, been active, mm-hmm, been hoping for mm-hmm, this kind of mm-hmm. statement for years to as a way of saying, hey, we know what we're doing. We know where this stuff comes from. Yeah. I've read this stuff. I know about it. Uh, I'm deeply versed in it. You know, how many times have we heard James in that statement and other times yeah. say like, oh, DC means a lot to me. Mm-hmm. I've been reading, you know, I've been in that universe since I was a kid. And so this is more of that. And you know, yeah, it's very clever. A rising it's tide of good. interest uh, hopefully will lift all boats. I totally agree. Also, and I mean, you can even see, I think the thing that's going to appeal to Marvel, Disney, other places about this is like, whatever the reality of selling out, which is such an exciting kind of terminology is, the Amazon top comics bestseller list is reflecting people's interest in these books. And everybody loves to make money who's a corporation. I will say, James Gunn, this is so cool. I'm so glad you're doing it. Like everyone, I would my the next step of this is like make sure you're just shouting out those artists. The comics don't exist without the artists. Bill Quist Everly also made Woman of Tomorrow. You know, Frank quietly made All Star Superman, Batman and Robin. Like that's the one thing is I think we're still stuck in that idea of like Tom King's Woman of Tomorrow or Grant Morrison's uh, you know, All Star Superman, but we need Let's do. F- I'm not expecting a full creator credit. You don't have to shout out the letter <laughs> as much as yeah. I would yeah, love yeah. that. But let's just let's just get to the point where when we share those comics, we're shouting out the artists too, because this medium doesn't exist without them. But yeah, that's right. I love to see it. Also, I was very happy because after the Swamp Thing announcement, where they were like, "It's going to be a dark horror story," yeah. uh, directed by James Mangold, we can now pretty firmly say he's in talks about mm. it. They then shared the Alan Moore Swamp Thing first volume and said this is what it's based on which is like a sexy weird like romance book so i'm all i'm mm-hmm. happy about it i'm happy about it it's gonna be great up next the airlock want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at discounttire.com meet treadwell your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle get your best match in one minute or less with treadwell by discount tire in a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Well, we're stepping out of the airlock and into a piece of shit Chevy pickup truck. That feels like a spaceship. <laughs> this feels feels like a spaceship as we road trip west into episode four of HBO's The Last of Us. Uh, this episode titled Please Hold to My Hand, written by Craig Mazin, directed by Jeremy Webb. And we open with Ellie pointing a gun into a mirror at herself and basically doing tax return. Are, are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? She's got her gun. She's making a little pew pew sound. She pops the mag, checks the rounds. She is so excited to have her weapon. Let, let's say congratulations to Ellie. She is a yeah. she. She manifested this. She wanted a gun. She asked for a gun. She, she made found it a gun. She made it happen. And guess what? She was actually right. She does need a gun, and we're going to find out why very soon. Ellie got a gun. <laughs> She's practicing with the gun. 
making little pew-pew sounds. She pops the mag and checks the rounds. And then she returns to Joel. They are at a, a rest stop. Joel is siphoning fuel and he's telling Ellie both why they need to do this so often because gas as I have been railing about in the <laughs> Extra Discord, gas breaks down over time. Like yep. if you just leave it in the tank, it'll break down over time, get yet less effective. And so Joel is having to do this a lot. And then he's ex- ex- explaining the physics behind how siphoning works. And Ellie is roasting him because clearly he doesn't actually know how it works. <laughs> and then things take a turn for really the, the dangerous, the tragic. Ellie pulls out a book of puns. Dun, dun, That's right, dun. folks. It's time for jokes. She says, what did the mermaid wear to her math class? An algebra. <laughs> and Joel <laughs> is like, fuck this shit. <laughs> yes, yeah, he is done. Uh, he's absolutely fed up with it. Um, they continue on. The road um, in this part of what is officially the Midwest is just littered with vehicles. Um, Allie is like, oh, I want to see a tank. I hope I see a tank. And Joel is like, you will. There'll be a tank out here because the military was all around and very active in those days. And you will definitely see a tank. Uh, Ellie shows Joel a bunch of stuff that she scavenged from Bill and Frank's in that all too short a time that they spent. Yes, far too short. Big mistake. They're going to regret it. First one, a Hank Williams cassette. Okay, Joel's kind of into it. She shades him a bit. She's she's like... You're old, you like this. And he's like, no, that's before my time, but actually it's a banger, so put it on. Yeah, put it on. And then uh, next up, a bearskin magazine. Done. A uh, little porno mag action. And uh, this makes Joel tremendously uncomfortable, uh, which uh, Ellie loves. And then Ellie says, gosh, in a, in a by the way, in exchange directly yeah. ripped from the the uh, the video game, as much of this episode actually was. She says, well, why are the pages stuck together? <laughs> Jules is like, uh, uh, uh. And she's like, no, nah, I'm fucking uh, with you. <laughs> yeah, I'm fucking with you. And then she throws it out the window, which I have to say, this is a mistake-laden episode. Mm-hmm. Our characters make a ton of mistakes this episode. And I would argue, and I'm dead serious, I think this is one of them. I'm not, like, that has value to somebody out Dude, here. Dude, like, I'm saying in a bartering, that. trading yeah. world, how much gay porn is there left in this world? I don't know. Not but a Frank, lot. Not a lot. And this is a physical magazine. Also, yeah. base level, base level, you could use it for fuel. Like, you could burn it. Do you know what I mean? Like, you could burn I feel it. like good, these two are point. not surviving. <laughs> they're, this is, they're getting a bit comfortable, as we will yeah. see multiple times through you this episode. You tell me you can't get a lighter? Two lighters or something. You know what this? I'm saying? Like, uh, there's probably <laughs> one person who will give you yeah. like one ration card, like, or just yeah. even just like some information, or just like making a friend. You know, uh, like a and Joel's not really a friend guy, so an alliance. It seems silly. Also, I will say, I was very happy to see Ellie's bad jokes making it into the show because that's again yes. is like another key. We get this episode is just like straight from the game, but yeah. yeah as soon as she threw that out of the window, I was like, bro. Hey, don't do that. Don't like, do that. On. Like, we what are you thinking? That. Yeah. Uh, they drive on and uh, at dusk, Joel pulls off the road. They make camp at a clearing in some woods. Uh, and for dinner, 20-year-old Chef Boyardee. That guy is good, Ellie says. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'm going to say, just, just want to say scientific here, yeah? I've seen people open 20-year-old cans of stuff. It doesn't go that well, but I like the intention. And you know what? I like that her and Joel agree on this. Chef Buddy well, they, is good. Yeah, did they have that in England? Uh, chef Boyardee? They, they did the chef make it over there? They don't have... He never made it there with his Michelin-starred uh, canned <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> he, he was like, he was like, it's too far. But they do have... Um, they have, like, very, very similar... Heinz actually makes, like, very similar situations in England. Okay. Um, so, Joel, they're, they're making camp. They're eating and and talking about the trip ahead, Joel figures, okay, if we get out of here by first light, we should make Wyoming by the day after, which is a good time. Ellie asks if they can light a fire. She's cold. Joel says no. And not because, as you might expect, because there are zombies out here that's Mm -hmm. the infected or I guess this is too sparsely populated an area for there to be a a, a pressing danger of infected, uh, which I would still be like, 
fuck that. No. Yeah, I, I'm like, I'm uh, scared of the infected. Uh, but because of people, people might see yeah. the light. People might see what's going on. I would, as people are on our Discord were saying, why wouldn't you sleep in the, like, the bed of the truck? I would sleep under the truck. Like, yeah. I don't oh, care I if like you tell that. me. I like that. I don't care if you tell me that there's no infected out here. I'm still like, I'm, I'm sleeping like under the chair in the front, under some tops. Like, I'm hiding. 100%. <laughs> Joel's very comfortable guy. He he's very he's, chill. He's, too comfortable. He's very, we will get to Joel being way way <laughs> too comfortable very soon. They lay down to sleep, and then Ellie has a very very serious question for Joel. She says, "Joel, she turns on her light. First of all, Joel, why did the scarecrow get an award?" And Joel. After a beat, says, "Because he was outstanding in his field." You dick! Did you read this? <laughs> and we get the first real smile, crack of a smile. It's like it's, from a, a, Joel. Little, it's a little bonding. edge. I, you love to see it. I was just laughing about. Okay, we're not going to build a fire because what if people see? Would the like how bad would it be to get killed by raiders because they saw you light your flashlight to read a book of puns? I know, I know. <laughs> Seriously, I get it. Like the thing I love about, and we're we're obviously like ragging. The show's amazing. The episode's amazing. I, we, we love and the it. point is like. The point of the whole story, as we saw the last episode, as we kind of get to see, it's, like, it's about finding joy and those moments being worth that risk. But in the yes. moment when you're watching it, you're like, guys, don't get your head chopped off by a guy with a machete to read a joke. Like, please. It's, it is very good that they feel less fear. Mm -hmm. They live in this world. They yeah. were, you know, Ellie and was Ellie's, born in this exactly. world. Yeah, yeah, she doesn't, you know, as a kid would, doesn't necessarily feel the danger around her but it's like if you airdrop me into this into 2023 of of mm -hmm. you know plus 20 years of an outbreak of of fungal zombies i would be a mess all the time <laughs> if i survived i would yeah, be stressed i, I would be the world's stressed. most i'd be more of a bill pre pre-meeting frank like i would be like locked in my house but you know what I do love, I think something about this episode is after the power of episode three, this could maybe feel a bit like a lead-in episode or kind of an intro episode. But actually, I do think there is so much small, nuanced time that we get to spend with Joel and Ellie here that you're really getting to see that bonding and the kind of part of the comfortable, the too comfortable situation they're in is because they're getting comfortable around each other. And they're yeah. starting to feel like there's someone You love who, that. You love to see it. Yeah, that. you love to see it. It's going to end badly currently, but I loved, I do love to see it. The next morning, uh, Ellie sees coffee for the first time. <laughs> uh, she is confounded by it. It stinks. Uh, Joel is like just slurping it up in the car, uh, making fun of her for thinking it's gross, to which I was, I was saying this in the Discord. You know they're just ripping ass in that car like, oh yeah right like there's no modesty no, right no. it's not there's like no... excuse, you're not hiding it not like, in this they world. just ate a can of 20 year old chef boyer d and chased it with coffee 20 year old coffee absolutely there are big time farts being yeah. ripped in that car it's it's happening and it's and they're just like going with it because the what like the <laughs> truth is that you're probably going to see someone turn into like an evil fungal mon monster at some point. So it's like, if you just be farting, like, oh, well. Yeah. Ellie's like, so uh, uh, tell me where you're going again. And Joel is like, uh, so we're going to, uh, my brother Tommy, the last mm -hmm. time I heard from him. <laughs> excuse me. So last time I heard from Tommy, <laughs> he was um, close to Cody, Wyoming. <laughs> and Ellie's like, yeah, let me just check the map. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's way up there. <laughs> Uh, so that's very, very far out. And then Joel opening up now, because recall, it was not that long ago that Joel was like, hard rule, don't ask me about my histories mm -hmm, and I won't ask mm -hmm. you. Now, all of a sudden, Joel is telling Ellie about Tommy. He says, Tommy is what you call a joiner. Dreamed of becoming a hero. So he joined the army right out of high school. A few months later, they shipped him off to Desert Storm. Twelve years later, outbreak happens and he convinces me to join a group making their way up to Boston. And, and Joel basically says he did to keep an eye on Tommy, keep him out of trouble. And that's where he met Tess. Some point after Tommy fell in with Marlene and the Fireflies, 
And Joel says of that same mistake he made when he was 18, he wants to save the world. Uh, And last Joel heard, Tommy had quit the Fireflies and now he's, I guess, floating around on his own somewhere out in Wyoming doing uh, who knows what. Um, Ellie asks Joel a, a very important question, which is how does he keep going without any hope that the world can be better? Like, how do you just do that? Uh And Joel says, basically, you don't understand what life. You haven't seen the things I've seen. You haven't been out here. I've Uh been out here. I understand what the world is. Like, you see this hopeless existence that I'm living. I'm living a realistic existence. You Uh don't understand that. And then he tells her, you keep going for family. That's about it. Ellie is like, oh, like me? (laughs) And And he's like, no. Not like you. I made a promise to Tess. That yeah, is he's like, I'm doing this for. You are cargo. You're cargo, flat out. Yeah. You Which also, puns. I think you, I think you actually make a really good point. I actually think this is more of like a defense mechanism because, like you said, Joel had said, "Oh, don't talk to me about my family. Don't talk yeah. to me about this." And then suddenly he's like opening up. He's talking about this person that he also doesn't even really talk to Tess about. Like, jo- like Tommy is, like, off limits because of their argument and their beef about the fireflies. But then he's just telling this girl. So it's that moment when she's like, so are my family? And he's got to be like, no, no, you're cargo. I, I don't, you don't mean it's anything. Because he has to yeah. cut. Yeah, yeah, it's such an he iconic moment. That. And it's like, you're just cargo. It's like, sure, bro. Not to mention, not to mention the, you know, there's going to be more moments that, that, call to mind Sarah mm-hmm, and particularly their mm-hmm. last night but like here's Joel in the truck with a teenage girl in the apocalypse and you know, Tommy's like, still it, in the conversation it's so it's Tommy's almost like still that in the three. conversation you know like it's happening again actually that's such a good point because also when Sarah and Joel first escape out of the car all Sarah's doing is asking about Tommy where's Tommy how do we get back to Uncle yeah. Tommy we can't leave him behind so even that conversation coming from a different place with Ellie who just wants to have more context she's also still asking where's Tommy like it's ve- your that's such a great point so Ellie nods off and then he says about Tommy you know Ellie asks how, how can you be sure you're gonna find him and Joel says I think the one most important thing about him as a character I'm persistent Joel mm-hmm. As we are going to see in this episode very shortly, when Joel gets an idea in his head, you can't get it out. Yeah. You're not going to get it out of his head. He's for not going to change worse. his mind. For better, often for worse, and hopefully for better. <laughs> Ellie nods <laughs> off. Uh, when she wakes up, the truck is on a highway entrance to Kansas City, and the way through is, as one would expect, blocked. And it's And it looks... Very suspiciously blocked. Like, yeah, yeah, it looks yeah. like it's purposefully blocked. It's purposefully blocked. And if you're a game guy here and you're like, oh, this has been very close to the game. Now we're diverging. You can basically just Kansas City is standing in here for Pittsburgh. We don't know yeah. why the 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 exact choice, but this was this this is basically the chapter in the game that was Pittsburgh. And you will recognize that as soon as you see the blocked street. That's exactly right. So uh they're stopped at this roadblock. Joel gets out to briefly kind of examine it, comes back. Ellie's got the map. They look and they're trying to figure out, okay, like how far back do we have to go before we can get around this? And then the answer must be too far. And Joel thinking about, you know, much like Bill thinking about resource management, how many times I get to fucking siphon gas, how many times I get to siphon gas here. Do I want to do that? And he decides, no, instead, I'm going to Leroy Jenkins this fucking roadblock and we're just going to cut through the city and find a way through. That's it. We'll be back on the road in a minute. Tops, he says. Of it's not escape from not... New York, bro. This is a bad yeah, idea. Like, just like, Why please drink. Just go it's back. It's like horror movie one-on-one. Don't I know, they do literally, this, but he does They it. literally <laughs> just came from an area where it was so uninfected and so, yeah. like, just no one there that they could sleep outside. Like, just go back and find a different yeah. way around. Do not go through the city. Especially, this is especially dumb because as Joel is about to reveal, he has also been on the other He's side of this. Before. He's done ambushes before. So what happens? They get an ambush almost, like, immediately. Shocking. <laughs> They're driving past what what... Turns out to be the abandoned QZ. Something has happened to the QZ where it's the doors are flung open. It's just gone. And they've, they've been, Fedra has been either overrun or overthrown. And as soon as they see that, 
they see a guy down the road who appear, he's, appears to be injured and he's calling for help. Joel immediately sniffs out that this is an ambush. He floors it. Next thing you know, a cinder block is crashing through the windshield. Next thing you know, the truck is running over a board studded with nails. Next thing you know, the truck is getting shot at. Joel really next flopped you know, this one. Like, it was just did. a bad idea. He should have reversed as soon as he saw the guy. And, and next thing you know, the truck is crashing into a garage. Now, Bill's I nice point truck couple, after all this I will, time. I'll point out a couple of things. One, the batting average of riding in a truck with Droll is bad. (laughs) (laughs) Odds are against you. The odds are not in your favor. (laughs) Number two, I will point out that immediately Joel is like, are you hurt? Are you okay? Yes. Because why? Because here it is. It's happening again. He's riding in a truck. Running from danger and his with a teenage girl, and immediately causes the problem again because his stubbornness. Because with Joel it. and Tommy, it's this it's this same thing. When then the opening night with Sarah is yep. like he's convinced they have to just keep going through. They have to keep going through, and he makes that same mistake here again. He could have reversed. They could have gone a different way around. They could have gone a different route. He America is a big country. He, fucked up. he knows he fucked up, and here again is a teenage girl who is in his care who suddenly has to deal with it's not just a car crash this time it's an ambush these are not infected it's like we're getting to that play this is that important pivotal episode that we've kind of been hinting towards and talking about in all zombie law and yes the infected are not undead they the the cordyceps cannot bring the dead back to life but zombie is a catch-all you know it's the ghouls it's the it's the cordyceps infected but you know they are not the real threat. The real threat the real is threat the is humans. People. That's always That's the way always, in all of always, these always, stories. Always. It Whether it's the road, whether it's, you know, Night of the Living Dead, the real threat is humans and the brutality that they will enact to protect themselves. Or, you know, think about The Walking Dead. You've got cannibals. You've got all kinds yeah. of different spaces and people who will do whatever they need to do to survive. And Joel just realizes he's put Ellie into that very situation that he's allegedly been trying to kind of avoid and protect her from. And so here is Joel. It's his mistake and he knows it. He may have just consigned a girl in his care to death. Just as happened, just as happened years ago. He's freaking out about it. Are you okay? He immediately, this gunfight is going on. He immediately sends her to safety through like a hole in the wall to like Mm -hmm. hang out on the other side of the wall. He takes out two of the attackers with his gun, uh, loses sight of a third who sneaks up behind him, gets the drop on him. And now it's uh, one of those famous smash uh, square button fights where Joel is trying to hold off this guy that's on top of him. And the guy's like choking him with a gun. Choking him. Ellie is watching this happen and she realizes, oh, I have a gun. She gets her gun out of the knapsack, walks up, shoots the guy in the back. And it's... Now it is this really, I thought, affecting moment oh. where it it reminded me of the kind of the death at the end of Saving Private Ryan, where like, I forget the name of the character, who's just like, as the Nazi is about to plunge the knife into his chest, is like, oh, no, 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 let's uh, time out, time out. You know, like mm-hmm. now this this guy who is very young, a young man. Yeah, you realize is, he's basically a kid. Yeah, is like, oh, no, no, we're not fighting anymore. We're friends, we're friends. I didn't friends. understand. Yeah, yeah, we understand. didn't need to do this. Like, take hey, my hey, knife. My mom, this is a good yeah, knife. My mom is close by. You could take me to her. Um, begging for his life, pleading for his life in a way that honestly felt like this is what I would do. Yeah. I would be for my so fucking life. Her- and it's so sad because it shows that the way the disassociative nature of what people are having to do in this world, he was will- ready to kill Joel and Ellie, like a little kid. He was just ready and to it- do it. But the moment that he realized that he was on the other side of it, he suddenly has this human realization of, oh my God, I, I don't want to die. It was a wise, I think, it, it, it was so affecting and I think important to do because this is a story based on a game in which in the course mm-hmm, of carrying mm-hmm, out the mm-hmm, story, mm-hmm. you as Joel will likely kill 300, 400, At like least. some large yeah. amount of people. And so here is an, a really important moment where that taking of a life is brought home. The importance, the yeah. impact of it and you know what? is brought into the that's story. That's such a great point because I think something that's always dangerous in, and and I'm someone, I love action movies. Like I love yeah. John Wick, you know, a, a, a gun-fu movie where you're constantly seeing people being yeah. shot. But something about gaming and like first-person shooter games and games where you are current, always killing people, you can lose the impact of death 
And instead, yeah. here, instead of showing Tess and Joel killing hundreds of people, blah, 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 here, what you see instead is this incredibly intimate reality of what it's like to take a life. Yeah. And it is such a responsible, heartbreaking, interesting I'm glad way. They did it this Me way. too, yeah. instead of him just like sniping someone out of a window, yeah. which you do in the game, yeah. you know, those kind of things like, or shooting someone from afar with a gun. There's so much emotion here. And then there's this really like, scary, sad, kind of horrible, dread-inducing moment where Joel tells Ellie, go back, go back through the hole in the wall, wall. go away. And and the guy is begging Ellie, like, don't go because he's not going to do it if you're here. And Ellie just turns around and walks away and the guy starts, and and you realize that Joel's going to kill him. So Joel finishes the man off with his knife and uh, and Joel and Ellie come back together. They now have to hide. They have to run from the, the reinforcements that they know are coming. And I, this is incredible acting by Bella because here Ellie is, she just killed somebody. I know she didn't finish him off. But, but she, she, for all intents yeah. and purposes, just killed a guy and watched him beg for his life. And she is trying to play it off like she's fine. Hey, so, uh, yeah, I packed my gun up and let's, uh, we should, I saw a mm-hmm. tall building over there. We should probably get an advantage point. I'm good, by the way. I'm fine. Don't worry about me. And this is where Joel, his his paternal instincts start coming yeah. out because to him, this is something, this is something Sarah never had to do. And for some reason in Joel's like very blurry moral compass, the idea that a kid has to kill someone is really horrific. And he keeps it's saying, really you, you shouldn't have to do that at your age. Yeah. Are you okay? And Ellie's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Like, let's just go. Like, I'm fine. You know, and you start to get some of that gameplay where you're hiding through the streets, kind of yeah. trying to, you got to stealth your way through avoiding these, you know, they don't name them this, but we we know from the game that this is some kind of representation of the hunters and, and people who yeah. are part of that that hunter community. I think uh, Neil Druckmann actually spoke about this in, in an interview saying that like, this is going to be, they're going to serve a different purpose. In the game, they're direct antagonists without much more expansion. But as we right. see from this episode and the arrival of one of our favorite actresses who's about to turn up soon, Melanie yeah. Linsky, this is going to be a more complex and probably play a far bigger part than they did in the game. Agreed. X-Ray Vision will be back. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, We've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support so you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. And we're back. Joel and Ellie head off. They're dodging armed patrols. They're looking for a hiding spot spot and we go elsewhere in the city where um, we find Kathleen, played by Melanie Linsky, in what used to be a Fedra facility Mm -hmm, and surely mm -hmm. is not now a Fedra jail cell. She is interrogating a prisoner who we soon come to find out as a doctor and she's reading a list of names, clearly dissidents who are in hiding from her group. And I think the thing that we can kind of piece together from this and other conversations is Kathleen whose family was in, unjustly wronged by Fedra, mm-hmm, her brother mm-hmm. uh, apparently beaten to death in these very same interrogation cells. Kathleen sparked, led, whatever, a rebellion against Fedra, yes. which she now is continuing to lead. And what is happening now is a mop-up operation where she is... Uh, is kind of organizing the hunt for Fedra collaborators so that they can, we can only assume, be put to death, right? Yeah, and, um, I, and I think as well there's this implication here. Uh, in the game, the hunters, anyone who crosses their path, they call them tourists and they just kill them. Yeah. And I think there's this implication where even if you maybe weren't connected to Fedra, if you show up and you came from another QZ, you're a Fedra collaborator. 
Like, there's no question here. This is just an assumption they make and they will kill you. So Kathleen is is saying, um, it, it tells this doctor, hey, you know, my my brother was killed in these cells. Like, uh, you know, w- what about that? And the doctor is saying, you were wronged. I'm sorry. But this has to stop whatever this rebellion that Kathleen has, has fomented. And she says, I think something that's, you know, really honestly is pretty authoritative if you I disagree with her methods but I think this is mm-hmm. pretty strong she mm-hmm. says this is this has to stop now you mean when you're in the cell uh, and she points out that now that this person who was protected and felt secure now that he's put in danger now that his skin is in the game all of a sudden oh no no we got to put a stop to this but previously when the regime that he was supporting was doing the very same things that they are now doing mm-hmm, it was mm-hmm. uh, had very very little to and say and we know Fedra was literally like hanging people in the street yeah like, they they were brutal. So the man points out that, uh, well, well, I was doing that under duress. I had a gun to my head. So she pulls out a gun and says, okay, what about now? Where are the people I'm looking for? And she seems she is particularly interested in finding a man named Henry Burrell, uh, who apparently put the finger on Kathleen's brother or perhaps the rest of her family to Fedra and is now in hiding somewhere in the city, Kathleen knows, and she desperately yeah, wants she's, to find she's like him. Yeah, she's like obsessed with him and she kind of has this paranoid feeling that he's kind of planning something. This is his work, whatever. Yeah. She sees him as this almost like overarching puppet master of anything right. that's gone wrong in her life. Uh the interrogation is interrupted by the arrival of a patrol that is bringing back the bodies of uh, the ambushers that, that Joel did away with. In Kathleen's mind, as, as you mentioned, Rosie, this is Henry's work. Yeah, Henry, she's sure If of he it. has a radio, he might have called in reinforcements and this is them. And then in a rage at this loss of life, yeah, yeah, she, she goes says, back in. There's, there's a great and, line where she goes, can you save him? And they're like, no. And she's like, what if I had a doctor? And they're right. like, it's and useless. Like, no, it's too late. And she just and she goes back in and executes him. This doctor, by the way, who at one point in the interrogation says, I delivered you. This is like the intimate mm-hmm. bonds that mm-hmm. are being torn apart here are really notable. And she says then to her gathered militia, she said, this is Henry's work and he won't stop until we stop him. Find every collaborator and kill them all. Mm-hmm. And then Kathleen's people head off into the city and they just kind of like knock down random doors and drag people off, apparently to be killed, like with proof. I don't know. Probably Doesn't seem not. like it. Yeah. Doesn't seem like it. Uh, Joel and Ellie are watching all of this from a hiding spot. And this is exactly what Joel meant when he said people. <laughs> you mm-hmm, need to watch out for me. This is it. Well, watch this. Um, and Ellie continuing again to pretend like she's fine is, uh, has noticed a tall building a few blocks over. And Joel is like, yeah, I saw it too. This is where we're going to go. We're going to go there so we can get a vantage point and find a path out of the city. And this is the moment where Joel kind of sensing this shield that Ellie has put up around herself wants to basically take the burden off of her shoulders and put it on his because he understands that he fucked up. He says, you're just a kid. You you shouldn't know what it means to, you know, it's not like you killed them. Uh, and Joel continues, you know, saying, basically, I, I know how hard it is the first time you kill someone or you hurt them badly. It can be it can be bad. And Joel also is doing this because, you know, he's apologizing. He's saying this is my fault. Now, he says it's his fault because he didn't hear the guy sneak up on him. Joel, of course, has his hearing has yeah. been damaged from years of shooting at people. But it's, out, it's and, also and, hilarious because in the game, Joel has like super hearing super that you hearing. can like, like yeah, you yeah, can yeah, like yeah. hear through the walls yeah, like yeah. you're in Spider Man or Batman or any of those other kind of games. So that's like a good a good re- reconsideration of like grounding him in the real world a little bit more. Agreed. Now, I would point out, and I think the character also knows that it's not his fault because the guy snuck up on him. It's his fault because he decided to drive through and this fucking the city yeah. that was going to obviously be occupied in mm-hmm. some form or fashion. Mm-hmm. Like, why did you fucking do that? So, you know, he's apologizing, but in a very dad-like fashion. This is this actually, like, resonates. <laughs> if anybody has ever had a parent apologize to them, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know about, like, your personal experience, yep. but it's never really... They always obliquely do it and never truly come clean on the thing Sorry that they fucked up. Sorry you felt that way kind of apology. Yeah. <laughs> so here's Joel not 
apologizing, but also kind of like not apologizing for the thing that he actually did. And then Ellie says something important, which is that it wasn't her first time hurting somebody, but she refuses. Mm -hmm. Now it's her turn to close the doors and not expound on what that means. Um, Joel then decides, you know what? We didn't stay at Bill and Frank's where I could have taught Ellie how to shoot in safety, but you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to do it now. He takes, he has Ellie take her gun out. He shows her how to hold it. He, uh, and that, honestly, that's about it. He just shows her how to yeah, hold it. Yeah, he's just like, eh. <laughs> uh, Puts the mag back in and he hands it to her. Uh, we go back to Kathleen, where uh, Kathleen's lieutenant, who I'm call- calling Thorold Greymane from Skyrim, <laughs> he looks exactly like... He really the, does. Uh, he looks exactly like the blacksmith of, of Whiterun. Uh, he has some intel on Henry. Apparently, they found uh, the the recent hiding place of Henry. Uh, and he leads Kathleen there. It's a attic somewhere in a building somewhere. There's cans of food there. And and notably, mm-hmm. child's drawings of like Superman saving someone. Yeah, this is like a huge moment because I think they do a really interesting job. Kathleen is created for the show. And I think they do a really interesting job of like, she's incredibly brutal and she kills someone in a fit of rage but there's some kind of notion here of a revolution of a community that she's protecting it's more so far it's been more morally gray than obviously evil but then when you find out that whoever henry is and if you if you know you know who he is if you've played the game but if you don't yeah. he's helping protect a kid and that's yeah. the person that she wants to destroy and kill and it's a very smart bit of visual storytelling. I agree. This resonates, too, because, you know, oftentimes we tell ourselves that we're doing something because of ideals. In mm-hmm, this case, mm-hmm, Kathleen mm-hmm. supporting the revolution and, uh, you know, uh, bringing to justice the collaborators who are trying to trying to bring down our more just society after we've overthrown Fedra, yada, yada, yada. But really, it's, it's clear through this that there's something personal. It. it on top of this kind of political, you know, scaffolding that she's erected, there is something deeply personal about her chasing Henry. It's, is this kid her child? We don't know, but it's clearly personal. Um, they leave there and then uh, Kathleen's lieutenant, Thorold Greymane, is like, oh, yeah, there's something else I have to show you. So they go to like a basement or a garage and... There they see the concrete floor is cracked and it is ah! it is slowly sagging down. And as it sags down, it's also like bubbling mm-hmm. up like something is pressing against the floor beneath there. Is it for those who played the game? Is this bloaters? It feels this, like that's what they're hinting at. Some kind of fungal balloon, like mm-hmm. a, a, a bubble that will pop a fungus. But it feels like we're going to see bloaters yeah. or some kind of infected break into the city. Uh, Thorold Greymane is like, should we tell the others? When do we tell them? And Kathleen's like, not yet. Yeah, he's classic like, Wait, what? bad leader classic situation. Bad. Is this going to go badly for you, babe? Classic bad leadership. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's take care of this absolutely insane and meaningless paranoia that I have of two fucking people. One is like a guy and another one's a child rather than deal with the obviously pressing issue of what appears to be infected. And like one of the the worst kind of infected. Yeah. Anyway, Joel and Ellie make their way to the tall building. We get some wonderful uh, co-op um, kind of uh, adaptation from the gameplay where Joel is scooting Ellie up into a hole in the wall. Boost. A thing you do, a, a boost, a thing you do time and time and time again in the games. Um, and they head up now this 40 plus flights of stairs to the top of this building. They'll go essentially as far as Joel's 56 mm-hmm. year old bones will allow them to go um, on the way up. Ellie asks Joel, how do you know we we're getting ambushed? And Joel makes a very important admission here. He says that he's been on, quote, both sides of this, meaning he's ambushed people. Mm-hmm. He's he's He says further that he, Tommy and Tess, the group that they were running with when they were going up to Boston, quote, did what they had to do to survive, to which Ellie asks, did you ever hurt innocent? Did you ever kill anybody mm-hmm. innocent? And Joel doesn't answer, which I think clearly means yes. Yeah. And I, th- <laughs> like, I actually that's thought a yes of no you. question, by the way, Joel. Uh, literally. <laughs> I thought yeah. of you here because I think this is setting something up really interesting. So you talked about how the Bill and Frank relationship is this kind of like 
it's like a mirror for Joel of like, what if he let people in and loved them in the way they wanted to be loved and respected their agency? I think this establishes another reflection of Joel, which is probably going to be Kathleen as we get more into the story. And that's the, what if you never learned that you shouldn't do that? Or what if you never put anything above vengeance or survival? What if you did the most brutal version of it? And I think that is going to be a very important tipping point for Joel to reconsider his any means necessary mindset, which is obviously going to lead to like the the finale of the show. And it's, I love post-apocalyptic zombie Mm -hmm. stories, genre stories like this. But there's always been also like an aversion I have to them. And the thing is this, that inherent in this kind of like setup is the idea that, hey, you're going to have to do what you have to do. Yeah. And there's something about, listen, if you're looking for excuses to hurt and kill innocent people, Mm -hmm. you're going to have an endless supply of them yep. in this story, in this kind of world, in this kind of story. And here's Joel. Joel, hey, I, uh, we had to do what we had to do to survive. That may have been true in the moment. It may not have been true in the moment. And also, you probably well, didn't have to do it as regularly as you did it. There was probably the times when you really needed to survive. Then there was the times that yeah. you wanted a truck or you yeah. wanted something other people had or you killed a family who didn't have anything. Or, yeah. you know, we know Joel's the kind of person who would leave a family with a kid at the side of the road if it meant protecting what was his. So we know, we can assume from this interaction that he's done some pretty terrible stuff. And at least he feels bad. Mm -hmm. It's very clear that whatever those things were, they weigh on him. He's not particularly proud of them or else he would have said, yeah, I did. We, what do you mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course we killed Mm -hmm. him. We had to. Um, Joel and Ellie make camp on one of the higher floors here. Joel then does the, uh, the Ethan Hunt trick for Mission Impossible <laughs> One, where he breaks the he breaks some glass and he sprinkles the glass fan. around. He's a Brian De Palma right, fan. Yeah, so that uh, if somebody sneaks up on them, they you know the glass will crunch and they will hear something. Why not also barricade the door? Don't worry about it. He's like, don't uh, worry, it's Joel, not. We're high up. slipping. He well, here's the thing. He is fifty six. He's tired. And it's been Ellie a lo- had to like been bully him up the stairs. Day. Really did. Like, I also him an think. Old man. I also think we're getting to see something really interesting here, which is like. This is Joel without Tess, and I don't think he's really realized that she's not there. You know, he knows. She's not at like, that level. He he used to have this person who would always have his back, who would always be on his six, like blah, blah, blah. He's She's there. Tess is probably setting up some crazy trap. Tess is shooting someone if you're taking a sleep. Like, there was a level of comfort to the life they had in the quarantine zone, and Joel kind of seems to be a little bit stuck in that, even outside in this totally new city and this totally new place. Why didn't you barricade the door? Why didn't you, you know, there's there's many things that you could ask about what Joel didn't do in this situation. But you know what? He's trying his best. I believe that. I believe I, I, No, I think that I think that all of this, I, I, I pointed out not to criticize Joel, but to say this is like really good character. This yeah. is an older, this is a guy who's slipping. Exactly. He's 56 years old and it's not like a 56 in a, a modern first world kind of content. This is a guy who's been living by his wits, mm-hmm. living hand to mouth for 20 fucking very, very hard years. Horrible years where he's done terrible things and lost everybody that he loves. And he's just doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily have his fastball right now. And I think he knows it as they're falling asleep. Joel asks what Ellie meant by not her first time. Um, and Ellie, again, is she not doesn't want to talk willing, about it. not willing to expound on that. But Ellie asks, I think, an important question, which is, does it somehow like you get older, you kill more people? Does it get easier? And Joel says, not really, which is not good. Not, a <laughs> not, thing you not want to hear, hear also, especially when you're like 14. But it's true. Right. But it's also a thing I think you want to hear from Joel because Mm -hmm. the last thing you want to hear is, oh, yeah, I fucking Mm -hmm. I'm just like like in the game. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great point. We're just like running through people. Bad for Ellie, but good for Ellie. Yeah. But and good for Joel, because at least, you know, that his heart is still beating somewhere in there. Um, And then Ellie tells Joel that, hey, I noticed you didn't you don't hear so well. Joel says it's because of the shooting, all the shooting, like you, you wanted a gun. Now you got one. And I'll tell you, maybe you want to rely on the knife, mm-hmm. which if the if the show is anything like the game, Ellie definitely will. Yes. Uh, and then Ellie has a really, really important thing to ask Joel. And she says, Joel, she you know, diarrhea is hereditary. 
it runs it runs in your genes. And we get a really great laugh from Joel now. Yeah. The two of them laughing, it's a wonderful moment. It made me smile. And they huge. and they they it starts where he's like he laughs and then he kind of tries to stop laughing and he's like, that is so fucking dumb. And then the two of yeah. them just lose it. And they're like, you're losing it, you're losing it. And they're just giggling. They're, it's the first time we've seen Joel happy ever in the show, actually, even pre- Ever, ever, yes. Even pre-outbreak, uh, but post-outbreak, it's like his first smile. It's proper smile. It's his first laugh. And this is obviously a huge moment for the pair of yeah. them. They go to sleep, and Joel is awoken by Ellie's panicked voice, saying, Joel! And when he wakes up, he finds two people standing, a man and a child, young boy, standing over them, Guns pointed in their faces. And we can only assume that this is Henry and Sam. Yes. The people who Kathleen has been looking yeah. for. Dun, 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 dun. dun. And, we, and the credits confirm it. This is yeah, Henry yeah. and Sam. And if you are a game player, this is when your heart breaks into. Just after you slightly sewed it yes. back together after episode three. Um, A shorter episode, 45 minutes. Um, I think necessarily so, mm-hmm. considering like kind of heft that they gave us in episode Ooh. three. Yeah. But also an episode that really, I think, deals with, I think is, a th- I, I, again, just reiterate, mm-hmm. I think a really smart and necessary thing, which is deal with the violence inherent yeah. in the game in a way that makes it feel weighty and yeah. real. Like, I think that's the, really like true. Taking out that ambusher who is just pathetically uh-huh. begging for their life in a way that f- feels like, wouldn't you do this? Yeah. You would do this, right? If you thought it was all going to be and over it, right now. It takes and, away. And it just hits yeah. so hard. And it takes away that kind of like the aspect that anything like this can have that like lone wolf, like you're the good yeah. guy with the gun. Like it takes away that element and adds so much more nuance and and an impact and also i think it's really interesting to have that compared with the quickness and severity that kathleen kills the doctor with she walks in she kills him it's done compared to that kind of horrific time that we spend that shows us kind of the sacrifice of taking somebody's life it's yeah. and also you get that then compare and you balance that with joel and ellie bonding over these puns, these kind of quiet moments, him telling her about Tommy. I think it's like a really impactful episode that I reckon as well is probably going to, this will probably be a big rewatch episode, I reckon, especially when you're talking about the revolution and looking at the seeds of that. Because at first it seems like Kathleen is just rageful for no reason. And then you start to put together the seeds and you think like, oh, okay, there's this, some kind of revolution that she's a part of who was helping her, who wasn't helping her, these Fedra co-conspirators. Also, then you want to know, why do people want to help Fedra? Like, what version of life is that? Like you said, is it are they all under duress? And then to introduce these, like, huge fan-favorite characters in the last moments of the episode. Yeah. And then after episode three, I feel like we're all kind of asking, like, are we going to get a Henry and Sam episode that is on a level with mm-hmm. Bill and Frank, this kind of bottle episode that gives us more time with them? Or is this going to be a journey we see them on with Joel and Ellie? I'm I'm very interested to see, but I just, just another great episode. And the writing on this show is just like so fucking good. It's, it's really well done. Thoughts on what's under the floor? I think it's got to be a bloater. I think, I think it's got to be a bloater. I think you know, we've seen clickers. We've had that really terrifying reveal. I think this is very interesting that the show is not leaning heavily into the horror right now. Yeah. And it's kind of more these moments of teasing and these momentary big reveals like in episode two. But I think I think once you get to that episode five, you're over halfway through the season. I think that we're going to start ramping that up. I think we're going to see more uh, infected. I think we're probably going to get a couple more brutal deaths. You know, the old like head on the broken glass move from yeah. the game, the yeah. kind of the Molotov cocktail situation. I feel like they're, they're building in a lot of gameplay in this episode. And I feel like they might take that to the next level and bring a little bit more violence and, and horror as we get to that final kind of trail to the end. Here's my question. Do the people in this world, does Joel 
know about bloaters because in the game bloaters are super rare right like mm-hmm. you, there's very few, there's not like it's the rarest of the boss level infected you don't fight them that much i wonder if this is a semi-new development i think so if, if anybody's seen them yet i think you know what i mean like i think there's a I, world I, I, where somebody who's in kansas city may have but i think they're going to be new to joel i think that's going to be he's been in the qz the clickers, were, him and Tess, that was the thing they were most scared of, in my opinion, from the performances, from the way they'd seen it. And I, yeah, I think that, I think that you're on the path here where we're going to get like a what the fuck is that, like, I don't know, yeah. kind of reaction from Joel. The show continues to be fucking great. We're going to continue our coverage with it every week and look for our uh, coverage of the game also to come back shortly. Up next... A very entertaining nerd out. In today's nerd out, where you tell us what you love and why, or share a theory, which we're lucky to have another great one this week, uh, Joe is going to pitch us on how the Merc with the Mouth, Deadpool, a real beloved character at this point in both the games and the films, thanks to the Fox movies, Joe's got an idea of how he might turn up in the MCU. So, Jason, I'll I'll hand it over to you. Sure. Uh, Joe writes, After rewatching Deadpool 1 and 2 recently, the theory that I have is that at the end of Deadpool 2, when Negasonic fixes the time slider, or the good old Negasonic teenage warhead. I love Negasonic teenage warhead. Still one of my all-time favorite (laughs) inclusions and... All-time favorite castings. Bring her to the MCU next. Love Negasonic Teenage Warhead. After Negasonic fixes the time slider, something in how she fixed it Mm. is part of what will ultimately allow Deadpool to travel into the MCU continuity between Deadpool 2 and the X-Men Days Future Past movie. It's made clear in the Fox X-Men universe continuity that time travel is strictly linear and changing event will directly affect everything else. However, when Wade uses the time slider and saves Vanessa, the linear effects would have avoided much of the story of Deadpool mm. 2. Yet in the MCU, it's been made very clear that changing the timeline creates a splinter effect. Um, since Deadpool seems to be able to jump across these splinters now, I wonder if that's how he'll sneak into the MCU. I like this. I, I think like that it. is really smart. And also think about it. When did we last see a Wolverine, a.k.a. <laughs> Logan? He was dead. So you know what? Having some kind of time travel situation would be very useful to getting Logan back into the MCU with a Deadpool, as we know the movie will be. Obviously, there's a variant potential, but after hearing Joe's theory, I'm thinking that the time slider, time travel, and the differences between time travel in the Fox universe and the MCU universe could really be a way to get Deadpool in here. I agree. It feels like there's something there. Mm -hmm. Not to mention that, like, I mean, the pre-Marvel X-Men universe was just filled with time loopholes. Oh, my God. And opportunities. (laughs) Speaking of Logan. (laughs) And opportunities to pull these characters from almost any time frame that Mm -hmm. their movies like uh, took place in uh, I I think that it feels like Joe's onto something here. I would not be surprised to see this. Because our newest villain, Kang the Conqueror, who we're obviously gonna you know see in Ant-Man and it seems like it will be the Conqueror iteration of Kang. That is a man who is obsessed with time. He can control time. He's a time traveler. Now we know in the MCU it is also going to be this idea of multiverses but In the newest Ant-Man Quantumania trailer, they have this line where Kang says, you know, every single thing that you see as life, I will burn out of time. So I think this idea of time travel and time being a malleable thing that's going to become ever more important to the MCU, I think Joe's on to something. This could be a we were right for the nerd out. Thank you, Joe. If you have theories or passions you want to share, hit us at xrayatcrooked.com. Instructions are in the show notes. That's it for us. Rosie, any plugs? Uh, you know where to find me, Rosie Marks, on Instagram and Letterboxd. And this week, I'm plugging the newly created Crooked Union. I'm very happy about this. Shout out to our comrades, our solidarity at the... Uh, with our Crooked the Media. We love the WGA. Love the WGA. This is great. Really happy 
that this is happening and just sending all our support to all of our amazing folks at Crooked who announced that union movement. Catch the next episode on Friday, February 10th. And remember, bring you two episodes a week, every Wednesday and Friday on the podcast platform of your choice. You can pick. And remember, you can also find us on YouTube. Subscribe. You can watch full episodes of the show now. Ones where we're on Zoom like this, being very cool and virtual. Ones where we're IRL in the same place at the Crooked Studio. Follow us at XRVPod on Twitter, where we're always doing cool stuff, sharing, answering questions, retweeting rad things, talking about tattoos. And check out our Discord. Me and Jason are there. Our super producer Saul's been active in there talking about yeah. D&D. You never know who you're going to find in there. we got loads of cool friends of the pod. The guy uh, H from June Pod's in there. And we got a bunch of cool listeners and fans just talking about all the stuff that we love. And we even recently did a really rad Last of Us giveaway. So we're going to be trying to do more stuff like that. So basically, join the Discord. It's great. That giveaway, uh, the winner of that will be announced on Friday's show this week. We'll be announcing that Friday. Um, and we'll be doing, as Rosie mentioned, more giveaways like that in the future. So join the Discord. It's fun. Five-star reviews. We five, love five, them. Five, we need five, them. Five, we five, gotta five. have them. Here's one from AJ from PA. Love this pod. Thank you, AJ. Oh, appreciate it. Uh, Jason and Rosie are a great team to discuss all things pop culture. Thank you. They have great insight. You can tell they truly love discussing and breaking down the content they are discussing. I especially enjoy how they relate the series they are covering to the source material. I only wish they would cover more shows because there is so much to enjoy in the various fandoms right now. Hey, you never know. Two episodes. Uh, we've, we've We're trying. Two. <laughs> We're going to keep. We maybe, maybe we'll keep going. You never know. Thank you so much, AJ, for the kind words. X-Ray Vision is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Chris Lord and Saul Rubin. The show is executive produced by myself and Sandy Gerard. Our editing and sound design is by Vasilis Fotopoulos. Dylan Villanueva and Matt DeGroote provide video production support. Alex Relaford handles social media. Thank you, Brian Vasquez, for our theme music. See y'all Friday. Bye. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, We've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.